Guys, you got your Bibles? Let's pray. I do this more to pray for myself. That way I don't put you to sleep. Father, we come before you this morning, Jesus, and we are grateful for the opportunity to come and be in your word. Father, we pray, uh, Lord, for the churches in, in the rest of our world, God, who, who come together in hiding, who come together in places that they're, they're, they're afraid for their lives. And Jesus, we pray your peace, your, your blessing over them today, Jesus, your spirit. And Father, we pray as we get into your word this morning, Lord, that you would uh, bring something to life within us, bring something fresh, bring something of health in Jesus' name. And everybody who wants that says amen. Amen. So I got a funny phone call the other day uh, from a buddy of mine, and he he called and and uh, he had he had some strange words to say. He said, uh, "I answered the phone and 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 he says I, I say hello, you know the normal normal thing you say when you answer the phone, and 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 he says to me, I've got heifers, and I was like, whoa." I'm sorry. And I was, is it contagious? <laughs> what do you mean? And he, he said, I, I, but what he actually said was, I have, I have herfers, is what he said. And I was like, I'm not a farmer, so I don't, I don't, I was not making any sort of connection at all to the fact that he was telling me he got, he, he purchased cattle. And I thought to myself, actually, I didn't think to myself, I, I actually said it. I had very little inner, inner monologue at the time. And I said, don't you have to have a farm? You don't even have a farm. How do, how do you have herfers? <laughs> That's weird. How many? He said, I, I, I got two of them. I said, all right. I got to see this for myself. So I got in my car and I went out to his house and, and uh, he lives kind of out by Tenino, and um, I went out there, and sure enough, he had had a fence put up around his yard. It was, it's some kind of property, I don't know if I'd call it a f- farm or a yard, it's a fard, <laughs> somewhere in between, and I go out there, and he's got these, these, these cows, and, and I, I, as I was pulling up in the driveway, I thought, man, maybe I'm further away than I think, because as I got closer, the smaller they looked. It was weird. And, and I said, dude, what's wrong with your cows? And he said, he said, they're, they're miniature. And I, Can they do that? <laughs> they do it with dogs. But apparently they do it with cattle too. Right? See, I'm asking him about these, about these things. And he's like, yeah, they're, they're miniature. What do you call them? Low-line Low-line Angus, something like that. Mini- they're miniature cows, basically. They're little nubby things, right? And, and I was like, why? Why? <laughs> why, why? Why not get the full size? And he says, because they produce small steaks. <laughs> and again, I said, why? <laughs> this is America, the land of big steaks. I mean, it's got to be in the Constitution, right? I mean, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, small six, all right. So I left, and I get a call a little bit later, and my, my buddy's kind of upset. And I, I started asking him what was going on, and he was kind of, ir- not really irate, but he was, he was, he was uh, on the phone. He's like, I, I, need, I need some help. I said, I said, what's going on? He said, my, my cows have escaped. 
I said, what do you, what do you mean? They, how do they escape? Apparently, when you build a fence for cattle... It's the size it needs to be for normal cattle. Well, he had this fence built, and apparently these cows are small enough they could step through the fence. <laughs> they started following the dog through the fence. <laughs> and I get a call, and he, he, he is on his cell phone, and he is out in the trees. And this cow was out there just mooing away out in the trees. And, and he is out there doing everything he can to get this cow back. And I mean, he's pulling on it, he's pushing on it, he's he's tying ropes around it. I mean, everything but hooking the truck to it and dragging it. Finally, he got he got so frustrated, he put this thing in a headlock and choked it out to the point it fell over. And this was a sight, let me tell you, because I know I know my size, and I know I'm not I have no ability to move a cow. I mean, I can consume one. But I can't move one from here to there unless it's on a plate. And he starts doing everything. I mean, he's doing everything he can. Finally, he gets this thing. He's, just, he's pulling on it, pulling on it. A bit, and the cow passes out. It's like, onto the ground. And he's trying to slide it onto a trailer so he can, he can get it back into his field. And it was the most bizarre thing I think I had ever seen in my whole life. And I was like, and it all started. I tell you the problem it's small cows. There are some things that aren't meant to be shrunk. You just don't, you don't, you just leave them alone. I mean, another decade from now, we're going to be walking through the mall, and people are going to be having elephants, I mean, little tiny ones, and they're going to be like, oh, Jumbo, would you like a peanut? I mean, it, it's going to be ridiculous. It's just not, it's not cool. But it's interesting to me that the extremes people will go through to protect the things that they value Right? It's interesting that the, the extremes we go to to reacquire the things that we value. If, if we have something of value and it, it all of a sudden gets taken away or disappears, we might not value it until all of a sudden it's gone. And then we realize, oh man, I, I, really, I really value that thing. And you know, we go after it. I mean, how many shoppers do we have in here? Think, you know, after, what do they call it, Black Friday? Black Friday shopping, right? We look through the paper and we find things that we value. And... and and next thing you know, you're up at four in the morning and heading out the door to do, your, to do the Black Friday shopping, going after the thing that, that we value. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing the intensity that these people shop with. I mean, now, now you can go shopping on Thursday night. It's, it's against principle for me. It's like family time, right? I mean, there's like, there's like lines in the sand now. Like, like some families are like, oh, you can go shopping then. Other families are like, no. I mean, there's going to be, I guess, civil war about it probably at some point. But there, there is nothing like someone going after something that they value. Um, what does God value? Is, is what, this got me thinking as I was reenacting the story in my head of these cattle. I was thinking, you know, what, what is it that, that God values? And Jesus put it like this in, in Luke chapter 15. It says this in chapter 3. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country? a safe place, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. This friend of mine, 
I, I was waiting for him to get underneath it and try to pick it up on his shoulders. I mean, it's the only thing I didn't see. But this is what Jesus goes in and he describes to us in in two other passages right after this, what heaven values. Jesus explains to us. I mean, there should be no question what what God values. There's little little idea that God values, the, the idea that God values people isn't foreign to most of us. We grow up in church uh, singing songs like Jesus Loves Me. I mean, even unchurched kids know Jesus Loves Me. I was out, there was another church I attended uh, probably six, seven years ago, and uh, for Christmas, we went Christmas caroling. And there were some families in the church and some, some new families uh, that, that came to go caroling with us, and we were walking around the neighborhood singing, and there was a little tiny kid, I remember, that uh, we were singing Christmas songs, and as far as I know, this, this is a, a family that was new to church. They hadn't been around much. And I don't, I don't know that they even knew the Lord, to tell you the truth. But they thought, hey, caroling, that sounds fun. Mom knew Christmas songs. And, and the son, he started he's singing Jesus Loves Me to every song. And we're like, hark the herald. And he's all, Jesus loves me. Because that's what he knows, right? I mean, he knows Jesus loves me. We grow up with it. It's like it's ingrained in all of us from, from the time we're little that, that God loves people. One of the most, most memorized scriptures in, in, in the Bible is, is uh, God is love. You guys heard that before, right? I mean, a little tiny passage says God is love. I think it's 1 John uh, chapter 4, somewhere, somewhere in there around verse 8. And, uh, but what's the most memorized passage, do you think? John 3.16. I mean, I mean, I hear all the way across the room, just like an echo. John 3.16, right? We, we know John 3.16. For God so loved the... Right? I mean, even unchurched families know this verse. If there is a verse to be known, it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world. There are even unchurched families who seek out Christian daycares to put their kids into because there's something different about them. There's the love factor. There's something different about daycares and preschools that unchurched families will say, I'm going to put my kid in a, in a, in a Christian or a private, a private daycare because I know there's something, there's something there. There's something that's not the normal. It's not just education. My, my kids are going to be loved. I remember when my wife was looking for a place to put our kids, and, and I was asking her, why don't you just put them in the place down the road? Well, that's not, you know, that's just not how we do it. Well, that's cool. I, I just assumed they're open. <laughs> But she, she was instinctively, as, as, a, as a loving mom, looking for something more. She wants to put our kids in a place where she knows they're going to be loved. And the, the, the preschool that my, my youngest daughter's at, there's a line out the door for people trying to get into this place to put their kids because they know that they will be loved there. It's a big deal. God values people. But it doesn't become any clearer than when we see... Uh, in Scripture, Jesus weep over the people of Jerusalem. Look with me in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. It says this, How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, here's Jesus. We're talking about God valuing people. And in, in Scripture, it tells us over and over and over again 
that God loves people, that God values people. And Jesus, the Bible tells us that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Here's some people, uh, an entire nation of people that had turned their back on God, that at one point had this relationship with God and they walked the other way. And Jesus' response to them wasn't anger. It was tears. And let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. Verse 17, it says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, I love Jesus' response, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. And then, and then he, Jesus goes on to tell this, this young man that, um, well, you know, there's the Ten Commandments. And this guy says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, yeah, I've done them all. What do, I, what do I do for eternal life? What's funny about this is, essentially, here's Jesus, and he's going along with his disciples, and this man comes up to him, young man, who's, who's fairly wealthy, the Bible tells us, and the man comes up and says, good rabbi, good teacher, how do I, how do I get eternal life? He knew that eternal life was found somewhere around Jesus. Jesus knew the answer. And he goes to Jesus, and he says, how do I get eternal life? Good teacher, and Jesus says, I love how Jesus models this. He says, there's no one good except God. And essentially what this guy says is, is yeah, and me. Right? That's essentially what he says. Here's this guy who, who, is, who comes to Jesus and he's like, I've, I've done everything that's good. I'm perfect. What do I do? Sign me up. I want eternal life. And, and this, is, this is the part that, that I love. Verse 21 and this is a part that I think we fly over so often. But this, this paints such a, a, an amazing picture of the love of God. It says in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure, treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Jesus looked at this guy who was an arrogant, self-righteous, Jesus-rejecting, I mean, the list goes on. And the Bible tells us in verse 21 that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I don't know about you, but that speaks to me tremendously. Because I know that there's been times in my life where, where I didn't give much of a rip about God. I didn't give much of a rip about, about eternal life or anything else for that matter. And the Bible says, here's a guy that, that was a blatant, non-repentant, non-submissive, Christ-rejecter, and the Bible tells us that Jesus loved him. I don't know about you, but that, that speaks hope to me. The early church began to wonder a little bit about, about the disciples constantly preached that Jesus was going to be returning. And the early church began to wonder at some point, because... The, the apostles were preaching, Jesus is coming back, it's imminent. They were, they were teaching it to all the churches, and, and the early church began to wonder, well, is, is he really coming back? Did he forget? They began to wonder whether or not God valued them. And, and, and Peter addresses it in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. Listen, if there's anything in this entire world that God values, it's people, including the lost. Sometimes it, it might be easy to say, oh, God values people to go to church. Or God values people who are really good. But scripture paints a perfect picture to remind us, who does God value? God values the lost. God values the hurting. God values those of us who come to church, but God values the, the hurting in the community that, that we don't even see. The people that are sleeping out here in a tree, in a tent, or not in a tree, but in the trees, not, not like Ewoks or anything. <laughs> but, but people who, who are out in, in, in the places where we don't see just to get a place off the road because they don't have a home, right? God values these people. God loves them. And I don't, I don't know where you're at today when you came in here, but God values you. I, I know you can't miss it, can you? It's, it's Ewoks. They're in the trees. God loves them. I know my kid loves them. I, I introduced my kid to Star Wars the other day, and uh, I, I haven't heard... It, it hasn't stopped. It's been... It's been the Ewoks are so cute. Now I'm going to be thinking of homeless people's Ewoks for the rest of the day. It's terrible. God loves the Ewoks hiding in the trees. Now we'll get a good laugh out of it. All right. We good? All right. So I'm going to back up here just for a minute because I don't want you to miss this with the joking around. I mean, one person snickers, I'll, jo- I'll start joking around the rest of the service. It, it, it goes downhill for me really fast. <laughs> but, but the thing I want you to catch more than anything at all, anything I say today is this. God values you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care whether or not you, you view yourself as, as the most righteous person ever or you view yourself as, I don't know how God would even want to look at me. But God values you. You may be struggling with drugs. You may, be, you may have come to a place in your life where, where you contemplated doing something that you knew would be so wrong in order to pay the bills. And you wonder, how in the world could I get to that place where I would even consider something like that? And the enemy just beats you up and beats you up because of the, the decisions that, that maybe you've made in life. But you need to know that regardless of where you're at, where you've come from, what you've thought, God values you. Whether you're living in sin, whether you're, you're burdened with depression, making choices that, that you, maybe you feel like you've made some choices that you just can't go back. There's, there's, there's no way to cross that line again. There's no way that God could love me because I've done whatever it is. You need to understand that, that when Jesus talked to the people and he told them his description of, of God's love for the lost, it was he would set everything aside and he would go to where that lost sheep was. And the sheep knows it's lost, right? The sheep's out there calling and screaming and banging and doing, doing his thing because it doesn't know where the rest of anything, where it's supposed to be, right? And here's Jesus. He goes out and he finds the lost sheep. He puts it on his shoulders and he brings it back, right? If you're lost, you know you're lost. 
You may be lost in a sense from, in, in the sense of, I don't know God. I don't have that relationship with Jesus. You may simply be lost in the sense, I was lost at one point. I, I, I loved God very much, but I was at a place where I felt like I was on the side of Mount Rainier in a fog, sitting on a rock and had no idea where to go. I didn't know if there was cliffs on one side or, 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 or whatever. Lions, I, I don't know. Some, something bad. I, I did not know where to go in my life. I was stuck. I was lost. I was at a place where, where I was going to be done with ministry. I was going to be done with, with everything that I look back now and say was valuable, valuable in my life. I was about ready to write it all off. And the, the Lord met me there. I know that the Lord can meet us anywhere in between. So at some point in, in our walk with the Lord, the, the Bible tells us in, in, uh, at the end of Matthew that the Great Commission, anybody ever heard of the Great Commission? Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the earth and preach the gospel. Right? Go into all the earth and preach the gospel. And if at any point you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is now living in your heart, is now living in you, resides with you. And that same commission is for every believer. Whether you're a new believer or whether or not you've been walking with the Lord for, for most of your life, that at some point is going to start welling up in you. And I know for me it did. When I gave my life to the Lord in high school, uh, I got crazy. Like I went to the, me and my buddy Bert, we went everywhere to, to tell people about Jesus. We went to gas stations. We'd be pumping gas and I'd be like, oh man, I got to tell, tell the attendant about Jesus. And so I'd go in there and... and, and be like, Here, here's 10 bucks, man, on pump number six. Do you know Jesus? And he'd be like, well, what? You know, I mean, it was like, it was all that was within me. I had to share the gospel with people. I was, I was just crazy about it. We, we started a ministry downtown. We'd go down and minister to homeless people. We'd find people sleeping on the street and go tell them about Jesus and give them tracts and, and everything we could do to try to get people to understand the good news of Jesus, that your sins are forgiven. You have hope. There's hope that's waiting for you. Right? We were out there just giving it to everybody. Uh, we started going to parties um, back in high school. Uh, I had long hair and wore a leather jacket and, and kind of played in like a half uh, Christian heavy metal band. I got a guitar and I had a buddy that, that uh, he loved Jesus and I loved Jesus and he loved heavy metal and I had an electric guitar so we figured, let's start a metal band. And uh, he was like, yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, so we were just like, you know, heavy metal. Let's, let's play Christian heavy metal because we love God. And uh, I think I might have shared this with you before, but the, uh, we wrote a song, and it was called Lake of Fire. And the words went like this. Welcome to the lake of fire. You're a sinner and a liar. Eternal torment is no end. So sit back and enjoy, my friend. Good, right? It goes on. You screwed up. It's much too late. You had to participate in Satan's lies and Satan's death. Be prepared to take your last breath. This is the first song we wrote. Well, we had this, this great opportunity uh, to play this song at a school dance. Yeah. Uh, we, we entered the school dance, and we're just, we're just sitting around, and, and the, there was a band playing at the school dance that my friend Bert, he, he used to play with, and they said, you know, we're tired. You guys want to do a, do a song? Because they knew we, we were starting a band. And we're like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So we go, we go up there, and we bust out this song, and everybody in the entire school's like, 
You know, just completely in, in, in shock that somebody would come and present this message. And, and so we, we left, and, and you know, on the way out to the car, we're high-fiving, and that was awesome, you know. I, I mean, it was, it was uh, we were on fire for God. We loved God, and we wanted people to, to hear the gospel. We were a little sideways, a little slanted on, on the presentation, but, but the reality was that people need Jesus, and, and we were going to give up to them one way or the other. We went to, we went to all sorts of parties. Uh, we figured, you know, where are you going to get a bunch of people together you can tell about Jesus? Well, parties. It's perfect. So Friday nights, we go out and, and go hit these parties. And, and we'd go find out where everybody's at. Most of the time, they're upstairs smoking pot in a room. And so we'd go just crash into the room and go sit down with everybody and be like... Trying, trying to see through the smoke, and we just park it right there on a bench with all these people up there just smoking weed and just, hey man, you guys know Jesus? What, dude? <laughs> and we just begin sharing the gospel with these people, and we would lead, you know, probably three, four, five people to Jesus sitting up there in this room where people are, you know, just getting high. And what was funny was, like, come Monday at school, we'd be like, hey man, you guys want to go to church? We'd run into somebody who was out at the party and. Uh, they'd be like, what do you mean? You, you, you know, you just, you gave your life to Jesus on Friday night. You know, the, the next step is, is go to church. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so we go back to another party, like, in the next Friday night, and it'd be the same people. <laughs> we'd lead them to Jesus again. And whatever it took, man, we, we, we would pray for them for, like, 15 times. It didn't matter. Whatever it took to finally get the point across that you need Jesus I mean, we were, we were crazy about witnessing, right? That's what we called it, right? Witnessing. Anybody heard of witnessing before? Right? That's what we, we all call it, right? We, we, uh, we were out witnessing. And uh, last time I was with you guys, or last time I talked to you guys uh, up here, we talked about Matthew 16, Jesus is with, uh, with the disciples. And they were going to a place called Caesarea Philippi, uh, which was basically the... the olden day Las Vegas, so to speak. I mean, they're at the place, they're at a place called the gate of hell, right? I mean, this is like, this is a, a, a not necessarily the best religious place to be. And uh, here they are, and Jesus says to, uh, to Peter and the rest of the, the disciples, he says, who do the people say that I am? And Peter had an answer, who do, who do people say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a minute, because there's a, a, a profound statement that Jesus says. He's He's with them, and, and, and Peter gives an answer, and Jesus goes on to say, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And we remember that part a lot, but let's back up for just a minute to the first part Jesus says. Jesus says to Peter, who do the people say that I am? Who do men say that I am? That's the translation we have in our Bibles today. In the, Greek, or in the, in the Hebrew, it's this word edah. It comes from the word ed, which means witness. Well, Seth, the New Testament was written in Greek. Yeah, I understand that. But scholars say that Jesus most likely, especially at this point, was speaking to his disciples, spoke Hebrew. And so that's why I want to look at this in the Hebrew. Because here we have this word, ed, or edah. Ed means witness. Uh, Edah means a witnessing community or a witnessing congregation. Essentially, Jesus is saying to his disciples, "Who who do the people of Israel, the witnessing congregation, say that I am? And what's interesting about this is, if we go back to the first, first time in Scripture that this, this word is used, Edah, it's back just before the Exodus. 
It's back when the Israelites were still in captivity. It's back before Caesar let them go and they were slaves. They were, they were just doing what slaves do. They're just, just mindlessly working and thinking they were hopeless and never going to be out of there. And here comes this guy Moses onto the scene saying, you're going to be free. God's going to free you so that we can go into the wilderness and worship God. And to begin with, the people of Israel probably thought, whatever. We'll see. And as things began to progress and miracles began to be done, they got to the place where, where um, it's coming to me. They're, 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 they're putting blood on the doors. They're, they're celebrating Passover. They're getting to the place where, where it's imminent that they're going to be leaving. And the Bible tells us that the people began to kind of come together. And they, this is the first place that this word Edah was used. It's, it's right at the place where, where they're getting ready to leave Israel. And they come together as a people. They come together. And it's this. It says, but it's only when the spiritual sense of purpose and unity came together that they became a cohesive congregation characterized by a sense of purpose and calling. That is the first point where God calls the people the Edah, this congregation that's filled with purpose and calling. They're no longer just just a people who are doing their own thing and milling around and, and not coming together, but it's when they come together that God refers to them as the Edah, the congregation of Israel. That's the first place that we hear it. But we look forward into Matthew and we see where Jesus refers to the people as this, this same thing. He doesn't just call them, he's not just saying, who do the people say that I am? He's saying, who does the congregation of Israel say that I am? Who do these people that are filled with purpose and power and faith and life and hope say that I am? Do you see what he's doing here? He's looking at these people who he just wept over because they have no attachment to God whatsoever. They've pushed God to the back burner. And in asking Peter, who do these people say that I am? He is referring to them as as the same people he looked at hundreds of years back and said, these people are my people. These people, I see them this particular way. There are people with vision and purpose and power and future and hope. And after he just wept over them, he says, he he calls them this, the Edah. Listen to me, church. When God looks at his church, when God looks at his people, this is a similar word we get, uh, the Greek word ecclesia. It's the word we use for church. So it's the Greek word for church, essentially. But this word communicates something to how God sees you. It is with purpose, it is with vision, it is with destiny, it is with hope, it is full of faith that God sees you. He doesn't just see you as the people who come to church on Sunday, who live in Rochester, who some might drive from Olympia or Chehalis. He doesn't just see you as that. He doesn't just see me as that. He sees you as a congregation that has come together 
full of purpose and hope and destiny and life. You know, when we wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror and we see ourselves. Most of the time when we see ourselves, we look in the mirror and we see our failures, we see our flaws, we see our faults, we see, we see our shortcomings. And the thing that I want to I get across is that that is not how God sees us. That is not how God sees you. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face behold, as in a glass, a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. What is this saying? It's saying this. When God looks at us, when God sees us, when we look at ourselves as, as in a mirror is what, is what he's, the author's saying, we see our, fail, our failures, our, our flaws, we see faithlessness, we see hopelessness, we see right now, the here, the present, the where I'm at in my faith, where I'm at in, in my relationships. God does not see that. When you say yes to Jesus, you begin a journey to be transformed from you to the likeness of Jesus. God is on a mission to change you. For, God didn't save you to leave you, you. I don't know if you knew that or not. That might be absolute news, right, to some of you. You might be like, what? What are you talking about? When Jesus died on that cross to save you, and the day you said yes to Jesus, you signed up for something. You want to know what it was? To die. I love Jesus' first sales pitch to, to, to the people who are wanting to follow him. They come to him and say, uh, two disciples of John come up and say, hey, uh, hey, hey, Jesus, we're thinking about following you. Um, where are you staying? And Jesus is like, uh, nowhere. I mean, how do you get people to follow you when you don't even know where you're, you're living, right? I mean, that's, that's a big deal. And so, you know, one of the next things he says is, is, is in his sales pitch to get followers, it was more to keep them away, I think, because he says to them, we're going to take up our cross. You're gonna t- if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. To us, that kind of sounds like, oh, Jesus went to the cross. That's kind of cool, you know. But to them, it was, that was basically Jesus saying, in a culture where people were dying on those things on a daily basis, you're going to take up an instrument of torture if you want to follow me. Because everything that is you is going to die. In order to take up me, you've got to lay you down. When we said yes to Jesus, we initially signed up to take all that we are and lay it before the cross and say, Jesus, I'm done with me because I know that everything that is, that is me is, is lifeless, hopeless, full of death, full of pain, and, and nothing that, that, that is of value to you. And Lord, I want to take up Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, now all of a sudden, God begins to see not you, but Jesus, when he looks at you. What this passage is saying is that when we look at ourselves as in a mirror, we see a certain thing. But when Jesus looks at us, or when God, Father God looks at us, he sees Jesus in you. And the process is that God wants to take us to a place where from glory to glory, from step to step, we begin to see ourselves differently 
than we do now. God wants us to see us, see ourselves step by step as we see Christ. That means God wants to take you to a place where you don't see yourself as faithless because God sees you as faithful. He needs to get you to a place where you see it and believe it. When you see yourself as having no provision, God sees you as provided for. He needs to get you to a place where you see the same thing he sees so that you can walk in it. God sees you in the Hebrew as the Adah, full of life, full of purpose, full of hope, full of faith, full of provision. And he's taking us on a journey step by step so that we can see ourselves the same way so that we can walk in it and live in it. But here's that word witness I want to talk to you about. There's that word witness. We think of handing out tracts and, and pulling someone aside to tell them about the good news, which usually ends up turning into the weird news. You know what I mean? You go to work and, and there's somebody that you, you work with and, and you're eyeballing them. Because now, like, something, something of God has become contagious in your heart for, for, for the people around you. And, and you may have never even talked to this person before, but now you're like, what's up, Steve? And they're like, oh, what's up? You know, maybe you're new working there or, or they're new. And, um, you know, they, you go on about your day. You don't say anything else to them. And then next thing, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out how to, how to share the gospel with them. And next thing you know, you're like, what's up, bro? I haven't seen you in a while. And it was like an hour ago. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're doing everything you can to like, like muster up the faith to, to share the gospel with somebody. And, and you know, the next step is you, you're like, I wanna, can I, Steve, can I, can I tell you about something? Can I talk to you? And they're like, well, all right. Sure. And, they, you know, you pull them off to the side and, and you're like, I, I want to tell you about Jesus. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> can you even say that? You said Jesus. At work. Right? I mean, it starts to get weird, right? You know what I mean? Who's, who's been there before? I promise you, I have, I have gotten awkward situations sharing the gospel with people more times than I could count on, on, on monkey hands and toes. I mean, yeah, I've gotten in some strange situations sharing the gospel, but you know what? It was because I was passionate about sharing the gospel with people. I wanted them to hear about the good news. But the reality of it is, it's this, that, that we think of passing out tracts and, and telling people about Jesus as witnessing, but the reality of it is, we are witnessing every day. In all that we do, we are a witness. Just like Jesus told his disciples, who do the people say that I am? They're a witnessing body. And there's witnessing bodies watching us everywhere we go, from driving to church in the morning, to the stuff we post on Facebook, to the way you talk to your family at home. Everything we do is bearing witness to who we say Jesus is. It's not necessarily about the pulling someone aside and, and sharing the gospel with somebody. It's the way that we live, the way that we act every day is sharing the gospel with the people around us. You will live out 
the way you see Jesus. Who Jesus is to you is going to come out in the way you act and the way you live. I know it comes out in the way that I act and the way that I live. And I do a pretty poor job of representing Jesus sometimes. And I have to train myself to be the first person to go, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm not representing my Lord and my King the way that I should have. But in reality, we bear witness in our actions, our attitudes, our lifestyle, everything. And so I wanted to be able to come to you guys today. If I, if I had two weeks, if I had three weeks to be able to share with you guys, we could come up with principle after principle about how do we live for Jesus? How do we bear witness to who we say Jesus is in the way we talk? I mean, we could do a whole Sunday on that, right? In, in the places we spend our time. I mean, there's a whole other Sunday. I mean, you could spend two months narrowing this thing down. But my thought was, if I were going to come here this morning and be able to share one, one principle with you about how we live for Jesus, how we bear witness for our Lord, the scriptures sum it up better than, better than I could. And it says in Ephesians 5 verse 1, it says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. The way that we represent Jesus, the number one best principle I could give you is found right here in Scripture. Walk in love. As we're going full speed ahead into, into Christmas, into, into racing to the mall, to do our purchases, to, to travel around, to do all this stuff, walk in love. As dearly loved children... What's this mean, this whole walk in love? Well, it goes on to say here that just as Jesus loved and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a a sacrifice to God, we are dying to ourselves. We are laying ourselves down. That is how we show love. We lay our selfishness aside and we take up the, the needs of others. We lay ourselves aside and we take up the the values of others. We lay ourselves aside. I mean, we get in that part, we lay ourselves aside. That's how Jesus showed his love for us. He laid himself on a cross for us. And in the same sense, we're laying ourselves aside so that we can take up Jesus. We can show love to the people that are around us. That is our witness. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that is in you. Elia, could you come up and jump on the keys for me? Thanks. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. So as we're going about our week, as we're going about our our month, our days, in between now and, and Christmas, we're going full speed ahead. I want to encourage you, let's slow down. Let's examine our witness. Let's examine how we're representing Jesus to the people around us. Because it's not that Jesus wants you or doesn't want you to go to the person you work with and tell them about the good news of the gospel, which he does. But it's through a relationship that we minister, right? It's not through, what's up, bro? I don't care anything about you, but I want you to know Jesus, right? I mean, that totally misses the point, doesn't it? 
I mean, God wants us to get to know, to know the people that we work with so that they can see how much we love them. I mean, it, it, people don't, know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, that's, that's our real true principle. And the reality of it is that people need God's grace. They need God's love. They need the good news of the gospel. But it's going to come through people watching you and seeing how you live, seeing how you treat your family, seeing how you drive down the freeway, seeing how you are in the mall, Right? I mean, if you're elbowing somebody at Walmart out of the way to get to an iPad, right? I don't think the first thing that's going to go through their mind is, they must totally love Jesus. Right? I mean, it's just not how it works. But when we think about how can I lay myself aside, how can I set myself aside, to be able to step back and say, you know what, I don't need the iPod that much. It's cool. Something's going to go through their mind that, wow, something... How, why didn't you just elbow me and kick me in the head and wrestle me to the ground for that thing? Right? I mean, they're, they're, I, I'm using goofy points here, but do we, under, do we understand where I'm coming from? Right? It's about laying ourselves aside to set an example of Jesus so that those who see us see less of us and more of Jesus. When that happens, they're going to ask you. They're going to come to you and they're going to say, What's different? What's going on? And the Bible tells us, just like I read a while ago in 1 Peter, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks, to be able to give the reason for your hope. Right? Be able to give a reason for your hope. I mean, it might be, I mean, the answer is Jesus. And it may be as simple as the name of Jesus. Or there may be something more to that. Maybe you'll be able to share your, your story with them of why it's Jesus. But be ready. Because the Lord's going to lead people around you who need to see the hope that is in your life. And when they do, they're going to come asking. Especially around this time of the year. Because everything right now is pointing to the cross. It's pointing to Bethlehem and it's pointing to the life of Jesus. And there's something that's going to there's something that's happening in the spirit that is pointing people towards Jesus that that has begun the day after Thanksgiving. And they're going to be watching. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Jesus, and and Father, thank you so much that you value the lost. Thank you that you value us. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here that sees themselves less than how you see them. I pray, Father, that you'd begin to break and shatter the mirrors of the reflection of self. And Lord, you would present us with the perfect image of Jesus. That we'd begin to see ourselves the way that you see us. And we would begin to walk in in faith. We'd begin to walk in hope. We'd begin to walk in life. And Father, I pray that as we're out and about and and we're living out this witness, as we're bearing witness to who you are, that Jesus, I pray that that you would put that, that check in our spirit, that we would slow down just enough to be aware of how we're representing you. And Lord, that we'd be ready to give an answer. And Lord, I pray that everyone in here, Father, that you would send people to them, regardless of whether or not they're ready. 
because you're going to get them ready. And that people would come and say, what's the hope in you? Why do you have this hope? Why are you this way? Why are you different? And Lord, we would have an answer, and our answer is the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.